being a stand-in or being on a set, you never know what that is going to lead to. And I wish that I could go back and tell myself that at 19 years old when I was like, no, I'll just be a waitress and just wait for someone to pick me as an actor. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott, and coming up in episode 187, the very first episode of season seven, I sit down with actress and filmmaker Alexandra Boylan to chat about how she moved to LA on her own at just 19 years old and then spent the next 10 years bartending, auditioning, and even living in her car for a month. Then when she finally realized how the pick me mentality had changed her for the worse, she moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to figure out her life's next steps and then booked a stand-in role on a movie that changed everything for her. It's all coming up in episode 187. Stay with us. This episode, as many of our episodes of Inside Acting, is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines, actors? Be off book for auditions? Explore your character and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Just download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. How you doing, man? I, I heard he was wearing a hat the other day that said all right times three on it. Matthew McConaughey? Yes. That's amazing. He's a very strange human. It's amazing. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we have a lot to get to in this episode. It, it suddenly got packed. We just recorded our uh, quarterly review one like a few days ago. We're like, ah, we're not going to have much to talk about. We get on Skype and we're like, oh, we should talk about that. We should talk about that. We should talk about that. So let's get right to it. Um, I just wanted to, a, a little piece of news, I just want to talk about the fact that I just had my first hockey practice last night, you know, I was yes. talking about the fact that I'm going to be uh, playing, it was sort of kismet, I got my last piece of equipment on the same day that uh, this guy from one of the local rinks emailed me and said, hey, yeah, you know, he finally responded to one of my emails, said, let's figure it out, just come and we'll figure it out, come tomorrow night, we'll figure it out, so I did, I went, and the, the big takeaway, the, the big learn that I think applies to the podcast and to actors and creative types especially is, you know, I talked about the fact that it was going to be getting outside of my comfort zone, and it definitely was. But in addition to magical things happening outside of our, our comfort zone, the other thing that happens out there is it can be quite humbling. And it's a very good thing for us as, as creative people and as human beings in general. I was definitely humbled and I knew I knew there were things that I didn't know how to do and I knew that it was going to be t challenging and you know I had to I the first part of it I got to really focus on okay I can't let this get me frustrated it just has to get me hungry or want to want to learn more or what what have you because it could have very easily frustrated me but it was a very humbling experience and 
I am, I am looking forward to doing other things in my life that get me outside of my comfort zone, causing me to feel um, uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable and also uh, being hum- uh, you know, humbled by it. So that is so cool. I can't wait to hear how this how this pans out for you, man. This is yeah. really cool. Well, I was thinking too, like it, it'll be interesting coming back to LA to do the uh, digital actor workshop. Not not this um, this upcoming one, but the one in the fall for the UCLA grad students. I'll be there for quite a while. So in order to, I'm thinking like, well, in order to stay practiced, like, what am I? What what should you know? What could I be doing? And I was thinking like there are actually ice rinks around. The popularity of hockey has increased, especially in Southern California. They call it the Gretzky effect. And um, in addition to that, I would I would absolutely pick up a pair of inline skates, some rollerblades, and do some street hockey if that was necessary. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to make it a part of like my my physical fitness routine. My 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 hobby I, I that actually that's an interesting conversation as well i i talked to um i talked to jasmine about how you know as actors we tend to uh, what it is is our profession can very easily becomes our hobby mm, because it's mm-hmm. because it's creative and it's fun and yeah we love doing it but it's also what we do for a living for a career or, and or we have thrival jobs on top of that and so to have something that's just completely separate and I'm not saying that the skill set is not, is is unusable because every skill is usable for an actor. I'm simply saying that it is it is a true hobby. I'm doing it for the sake of of making me you know that it makes me happy. So yeah, and you can add that to your special skills on your resume. <clears throat> Damn Skippy. Damn straight I can. Damn straight I can. That's great, um, man. So speaking of the digital actor workshop, just wanted to remind our listeners. Uh, that I will be doing a digital actor workshop sometime when I'm in LA the last week of April. It probably will be the evening of, of April 29th. Time and location TBD, but uh, mark your calendars sometime that week. Get to work out the pricing structure, but I do know that our members will get it for free. So awesome. members in for free, and then you know bring a friend for a discount, and, and I'll figure out what the, uh, what the full price will be. Keep your awesome. eyes and ears open. Awesome, man. Very cool. Well, in addition to just uh, also reminding our listeners that uh, our membership site is up and running, it's hopping over there. So if you're not a member of the podcast, you can sign up for seven bucks a month and get access to this really, really great supportive mastermind online group. This just already, it's just a lot of fun to be on there. A lot of great people sharing a lot of valuable stuff over there. And we would love to see you guys on the inside. The more people, the merrier. Uh, we also have a new website. If you haven't seen it yet, Gadali, our marketing and web director, put together a beautiful website. It's built on WordPress, and we're going to be making small tweaks to it over the coming uh, weeks and months. But uh, all the functionality of the old website is more or less there, and uh, we're stoked to kind of be moving into the the next century now with uh, something that's not <laughs> Blogger. Not not that Blogger didn't serve as well, um, but uh, we're, we're excited to move into WordPress and, and play with some increased and enhanced functionality with that. Uh, but what I did want to do is just take a few minutes here to talk about Something before we jump into the uh, the listener email uh, section of the of the podcast episode, I want to talk about this thing I saw from James Dumont on uh, Facebook this morning. James was a guest of ours oh, maybe a few dozen episodes ago. He uh, had a starring, well, not a starring, but a, a supporting role opposite uh, Oscar-winning actor Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, and he was also in was it The Butler or what? There was another film last year that he was in. Yeah, I think an Oscar-winning yeah. film. 
Was it the butler? I think it was. I think you're right about that. I feel like yeah. I, I... Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Yeah, it I feel out. like we should know this off the top of our heads. Anyway, point being, he's had you know, roles opposite these Oscar-winning actors and these Oscar-winning films or Oscar-nominated films at the very least. Uh, but he said in his Facebook post today that he hasn't been able to get an audition recently, like in the in the recent you know couple of years. He said it's been years since he's had a pilot season. He said uh, you know with the film and television industry kind of trending towards the a sort of eastward move out of Hollywood because of tax incentives and various things going on in the industry, and the fact that California is quickly running out of water. In fact, I think just yesterday uh, Governor Jerry Brown declared. The very first sort of like statewide uh, water sanctions yep. uh, to be instigated in sort of a, a sort of phased rollout over the coming year. Yep. Uh, which, you know, is pretty serious. And he literally said, Governor said, you know, this is a new era. This is a brand new era. We're going to have to make some adjustments. James mentioned all this in his Facebook post and basically said, I'm out. I'm going to New Orleans with my family as of June 1st. I don't want to live in LA anymore. I don't want to live in California anymore because of all these things. And I thought that was sobering to to hear from somebody you know that we all look up to as, as an accomplished actor and i don't know is this the writing on the wall what do you think uh, i mean it's uh, the the water thing is is freakish um by the way side note uh in case you're hearing any random noises throughout this podcast is because my cat just uh seems to want to play right now uh while we record good good kitty. Uh, uh, good, kitty. good kitty yeah can you just settle down for a second thank you no, no biting. Um, anyway, I I was thinking about the water thing, and I told I told Jasmine I was like, man, this this may be the the main or big reason why I'm happy we're not living there anymore. Yeah. Because uh, now we're living in a state. Currently, we're living in a state that that's not running out of water. The the writing's been on the wall there for a very long time, especially in California, because they take so much water from so many other places, so many other states, and those other states have tried to fight to keep their water and uh it's been an issue it's been a, an oncoming issue for for quite some time and then as far as the issue of productions moving out of la that's something we've been talking about since i did uh, broken horses and the crew people in the crew were complaining about the fact that they had taken this job for less pay because the all of the other jobs that may have paid them more were in places like atlanta and um, uh, louisiana and uh, you know other places on the on the east coast or in the south and north carolina and so i feel like i don't know maybe the writing's been on the wall there as well for quite some time i just think it's fascinating that james is taking a such a a, a big step to say you know what this isn't working for me so i'm going to try something different rather than banging his head against the wall there and it's also something to be said for the um the people who listen to the podcast and think like, I got to get myself out to LA. That's the major market. That's the Super Bowl, so that I can work. It's like here's this guy that works, or used to, according to him, work all the time, who's making the step to go in the opposite direction to go to a minor market because he thinks he'll have more success there. Yeah. Well, you know, with the with the rise of of TV, TV's in a real golden era right now season-long narrative TV shows being shot all over the place, all over the place. And they're, they're really high quality. And, you know, you can be a filmmaker and be anywhere in the world and get your film kind of made beautifully and, and seen. So really, I, I've been thinking about this. And I think that if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if, if I'm wrong here, AJ, but the only reason the film industry exists in Los Angeles 
is a sort of a combination, a historic combination of the gold rush kind of happening here and the fact that the weather's nice 99% of the time. So people could shoot outside and not have to worry about being rained out. I think that's kind of the reason that, that things kind of settled here uh, as far as the film and TV industry goes. Am, am I off uh, on that? Or? I don't know. I don't know, the, I don't know that much about the history and the golden age of, of Hollywood and, and stuff. Both of those things certainly make sense. California, well, yeah, I mean, look, between those things and the tax incentives that California used to give to productions, production companies, uh, studios, etc., yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's uh, it's been it's been the heart of, of it for uh, for a long time. But y- you're right; a lot of that stuff is, you know, you can almost you can find that in other places. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say like if that if those are the only two real reasons that that uh, the, the film industry exists out here, that's even like less justification than ever to to have to you know to to make this a requirement as part of your career i mean right now that's where a lot of stuff is still happening but we're seeing this increasing trend away from los angeles when it comes to james's move to new orleans it's something i think that's kind of been in the zeitgeist recently or maybe i'm just in that phase of my life i hear about a lot of actors in their 30s who you know kind of uproot and make changes which is what i am but i've been thinking about moving too. I mean, you're out there in New York, you're loving it. I know a few other people who've moved out of state and are still having success. Uh, our friend Mike LaRose from Apple moved to New York a long time ago and he's been loving it out there. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about Denver to be completely honest, but seeing this from James really kind of, I, you know, my ears perked up and I thought, Hey, if he's doing it, there must be something to this. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what I appreciate about it and what, what maybe you might want to take into consideration in terms of thinking of it as a possibility it's not working i can't keep doing the same thing over and over expecting different results i get to you know do something differently to get different results yeah so you know just something to take it i don't know to take into consideration that that actually came up for me the other day when i thought about the fact that i'm back working at apple and i'm here in new york and i'm in some ways replicating some of the same results that I was having in LA. And I had this moment of like, ugh, I didn't want to be back here. But then I realized, wait, hang on a second, AJ, like calm down. You have created these results in a year as opposed to the eight or nine at post-college in Los Angeles. So if you're creating similar results after a year that it took eight or nine to create, imagine what you will create in eight or nine. That's a good way to look at it. You know, so like ex- the law of accelerating returns almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because we've heard so many people say, like, oh, it takes, you know, 10 years in a new market to kind of, you know, make a, make a, make a, make an impact. Let's piggyback off of this and uh, jump into our first uh, question of the episode. But before we do that, we definitely want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors this week, which is VO2GoGo.com. They are the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for best voiceover training four years in a row. You can visit VO2GoGo.com slash start right now for a free getting started in voiceover online class. It's a series of modules that walk you from zero to hero uh, in in a very short amount of time. And it'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. Who doesn't want to work in their pajamas from home on their own schedule? Name one person. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. 
Okay, so we have an email from uh, Georgie, is her nickname. Um, and she writes to us from, does she say where she's from here? It's a, a sort of undisclosed location that's not a, a major market, oh, yeah. meaning it's not L.A. or New York. Um, but she wrote to us a long time ago. And Georgie, we wanted to uh, uh, you know, apologize for taking a while to get to your email here, but we're excited to talk about it today. And it's perfect. It's perfect because of this thing we saw from James. Uh, online today. So Georgie says she plans on making a move to either Los Angeles or New York. And her question is, does New York have a film TV? Well, she's got a couple questions, but she says, does New York have a film or TV or commercial market that's just as big as LA? She says she plans on moving in six to 10 months. Uh, and then she's a late starter. And what she means uh, by that is that when she makes the move, she's going to be 40 years old. So can we provide any insight or guidance or thoughts on, on both markets, New York and L.A., and entering the industry full-time at 40 years old? I don't – you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not 40. I'm not, I'm not um, at that phase in my life yet, so I, I can't really speak to that. But my, my experience in talking to guests and things like that and being in this, this industry for 12 years now is that um, there are going to be less roles for 40-year-old women uh, and they're going to be harder to come by, but by no means does that make that a reason not to to give it a shot or to come out here and do it because it's the people who distinguish themselves as unique individuals that that work, and it's the people who try to be something cookie cutter that that typically don't work. Um, so I wouldn't let that enter into the equation beyond the tactics that may work for a beautiful twenty year old with no wrinkles versus a 40 year old that might have a few wrinkles, maybe, maybe not. Um, but you know, you're a different phase of your life. You're different, different demographics. You're going to have different strategies and tactics. I don't know exactly what they are. You know, you're, it's about, it's about taking into consideration this unique human being and, and making sure that, 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 that they are taking steps in their career based on what makes them unique. Which we've, which we have talked about on the podcast before. That said, you know, I would play devil's advocate, not entirely, because I agree with like you know ninety nine point nine percent of what you said. I would say that too that there's there's no there's not necessarily any reason to reinvent the wheel altogether, meaning that your job, Georgie, really is to just get better. As James Dumont, speaking of James Dumont, said on the podcast, right, your job is to just get better. And so if that means getting as much experience as you possibly can in terms of film and television and theater goes uh, as, you know, uh, someone starting their 40s versus somebody starting in their 20s, then that's just what you get to do, whether that's taking classes or getting on a set or being in, a, in plays or whatever it takes to, to get better. Also keep in mind, you are a unique, like Georgia, you are a, you, there's no other yous on the planet. You're the only you. And all of your, your life's worth of it, 40 years worth of experience on this planet is something that you can bring to every single role you ever do that no one else can bring to that role. So the, the stuff that I'm talking about, about getting better may just be in your case, technique. It may be just like learning the, the, the vocabulary and then taking all of your past experience and applying it to that context. I also, just kind of listening to you speak, AJ, and, and rereading your email here, Georgie, I would recommend checking out a type workshop, something like Mark Atterbury's uh, Actor Know Thyself uh, course or, um, oh, what's the other dude who has in type and image intensive thing? I'm brain farting on his name, but he... If, if, oh, um... 
I know, I know who you're talking about, the man. I guy with the beard. The guy with the beard. Sam, Sam, something. I thought it was Stephen. Oh, uh, we suck. Anyway, yeah. um, you can look up type image intensive Hollywood, whatever, and that guy will come up too. Uh, anyway, both of those I think will be really valuable in helping you kind of define exactly how people perceive you, and then you can really kind of cater your uniqueness and kind of blend that, bring your party to that specific type. Uh, I guess is is a, a a way to put it, and that way you can really kind of leverage your uniqueness and your demographic um, in a in a place like New York or LA. Which, to answer the first part of your question, or respond to the first part of your question, uh, New York and LA, uh, I believe, are fairly equal in terms of commercials, but I think film and TV are still a little more than New York. Although that's quickly changing. I know, AJ, you've said there's a ton of film and TV work in, in New York oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been happening for quite some time. The only section of the industry that I think went the other way and moved from New York to Los Angeles were soap operas. And <laughs> I'm not saying the two are connected, but soap operas are dying. There's like four yeah. left yeah. On, yeah. on television. And... Um, <clears throat> 2014, I've said this many times on the podcast, is the first year that New York surpassed LA in TV pilot productions. And there's just so much going on here and so much being shot here. And something that you brought up earlier, Trevor, was about these long form, season long arcs that these these television shows that are really great. That is like the dream job for actors right now, being on a show on HBO, Netflix, like these amazing television shows that have actors, you know, these these big time film actors doing these things because they know that the, that that's where they're going to do the best work and tell the best stories and 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 be in the most interesting uh, roles. And a lot of that stuff is starting to be shot in New York. And there mm-hmm. there are I I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but there are I'm not kidding advertisements in the subways of shows that were shot in New York and then right underneath like. Uh, not necessarily taking over the ad, like the ad is definitely for the show or for the film, but right underneath that, there's a little banner that says, you know, such and such supported by the New York film and television something or other, you know, the office of the mayor, de Blasio. It's essentially a banner saying like, the city of New York and the state of New York support filmmaking and support uh, te- people making television shows. Um, and I think that's really fascinating because they're sort of advertising to two different markets there. They're advertising to the people who watch the show. And then it, it, somehow, not that these people would be taking the subway, but maybe they are. I don't know. They're also advertising to, f- to, to producers, Filmmakers, directors, mm-hmm. and I, I just thought that was really fa- a really fascinating thing. Not necessarily something you see on billboards when you're driving around Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I, I don't think I've ever seen that in LA. Um, well, Georgie, hope that answers um, your questions. Uh, it's it's sort of a gray area uh, in some aspects, but um, yeah, short version, go for it. I mean, you only live once, right? YOLO. So no, you are not allowed it, to say you. I know. I, I said it. I was like, I'm putting the kibosh on that right now. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, anyway, Georgie, thank you for writing in and for sharing that. Um, we we talk a lot about issues that affect younger actors and people who are in a, a specific phase of their lives, but not a lot about about older actors or people in a. I should say. I, put, I should put that more kindly. People in a, in a in a more advanced stage of their phase of their lives. 
that's something I'm looking forward to doing more of on the podcast. Not only as you and I get older, AJ, but as we have more and more people write in with, with questions about that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'd love to yeah. know before we move on, uh, Georgie, I would love to know where you're at right now. So we can talk about, you know, maybe where, you know, there are markets. Yeah. Um, maybe the best move is to stay put. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. So thank you, Georgie. And we have a second question that we want to just take a few brief minutes to respond to. This came in some time ago to the podcast as well. It's from a longtime listener and uh, supporter of the podcast, Xavier. And he was told by a friend at church to look up this group. Um, I don't know if we want to call them out here by name on the, on the podcast or not, but let's just say it's a faith-based sort of modeling actor convention company. And uh, to him, to Xavier, it sounded pretty cool because uh, what he does, and this is a whole other conversation, but he says what he does as an actor is actually looked down upon at his church. So, wow, whole other conversation. Uh, and he even says it. That's an email for another time. But he says he called them this morning, this, this convention company. He called them this morning, and the lady on the phone just wanted to pitch him, he says, flying to a conference to meet with industry people in Florida. And every time he had a question, she referred him back to the website. They hold auditions and send the people who audition to Florida, and uh, those people spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And of course, there's success stories on the websites, and the websites look look, look legit. And there's something coming up down in Anaheim, and um, actually, it already happened in January. And uh, there's some people talking about it on uh, Yahoo as well, like the Yahoo Answers thing, which I know is kind of like so 15 years ago, but uh, <laughs> there's still some good stuff there. And I know that, AJ, we were talking before we recorded briefly that you and I have both done these kind of like big convention things where you pay a bunch of money to get in and, you know, quote unquote, be seen by people. And we just heard just a few episodes ago from uh, Leo Oliva about his success, um, more or less, going to one of these conventions actually in Florida. So I think that um, for every thousand people that get nothing out of it, there's a few people that do get something out of it. Yeah. And I would love to hear your experience real briefly if you can kind of give us the 30-second version, AJ. I, I didn't end up signing up. I went to this thing. I went to the pitch meeting basically with my mom. And, you know, I, we both could tell. I mean, I was young and she was completely inexperienced. But between the two of us, we, we, we managed to be like, eh, this doesn't feel right. They're definitely there to sell the, a product. The people who would maybe fall for a scam – or, or maybe spend thousands of dollars on a convention like this might not actually be listening to this. So, it, you know, it makes you wonder how, how could we possibly get the word out. So, and then you had an experience, you had a, a similar experience, right? Like you went to one of these sort of conventions. Yeah. When, when I was in high school, uh, my stepmom kind of saw this thing. It was like a, you know, a model actor search thing. And I was in the suburb of Philadelphia where there's, wasn't a ton going on. And she said, let's go. And she paid for it. And so I went and it was down and I went to the initial thing and they, they called me back or whatever. And then we went down to DC for like three nights and this big thing. And actually Rob McElhenney was one of the guys that was like a featured speaker there. He's now on, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's one of the actors on that show, which I think is kind of cool. And he actually, I actually met with him, but I actually had a little bit of success. I signed with an agency through that thing. Uh, the same agency that, that represented Rob at the time. And I went out on a bunch of auditions in New York because of this this convention thing that I went to. Hmm. And that's really what kind of gave me my sort of first taste of the industry and gave me my start and got me my first audition experiences and, and eventually kind of smoothed the, the way for me to uh, continue studying theater in college and then move out to L.A. So for me, it was actually it was actually a good thing. But then again, I didn't pay for it. I don't know how much it cost. 
Um, oh. My my family made it very easy for me. And, you know, I'm one sort of success story out of probably, you know, thousands of people there that, that nothing happened for them. So, I don't know. I feel like conventions like this typically are selling a dream or the idea of a dream. I think they're kind of a racket. But I do think if you go in there with a, with a clear intention and you talk to people and you come from a place of service and you know what you want, it can be a good thing. So, um I guess do your homework is my sort of core message and, and make sure you're clear on, on what you're getting into if you do go this direction. One of the people, on, just to piggyback on that, one of the people on the Yahoo's, Yahoo Answers thing did say, like, if you're ready to move to Dallas, because it's where this particular one, because they happen all over the country, if you're ready to move to Dallas tomorrow uh, because, you know, someone wants to represent you there and then audition there, then, you know, it, then it might be worth it. Because it sounds like they get people from that market to that the industry in that market to come to these things, um, and then you know if you if you manage to like you said Trev end up getting an agent or something like that and you and you are available to work in that market Xavier for instance like he he doesn't live in Florida, but maybe if maybe he that was just the closest one to him and that's why they were pitching that one to him. But, you know, uh, maybe if he was interested in moving to Florida, I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, a good point. And none of this takes into account the faith-based thing. Uh, I'm really stunned to hear, Xavier, that your church frowns upon the, a, a career in the entertainment industry, so to speak. Uh, I mean, I'd love to hear specifics on that, and maybe that's, a, that's something we can talk about in a future episode. But I just wanted to kind of throw that in there, that our response here doesn't take into account any of, of that side of the issue. Yeah. Because um, this is a faith-based organization that's that's putting on these conventions. Yeah. So well, that plays an emotional role, I think, in a lot of people's decisions. Yeah. Uh, it kind of hurts yeah. my heart a little bit that they... Yeah, they mine too, man. Down a, 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 you know, a creative... I don't know. Oh Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, I mean, <laughs> oh man, don't open up that can of worms. Yeah. You know, because Here it's... we go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. All right. Well, well Xavier, Georgie, thank you for the emails. Uh, anything else you wanted to kind of put in before we uh, move to the interview agent? No, I was just going to say Alexandra Boylan is going to save us from ourselves. <laughs> She's here to save the day. She rocks. Enjoy part one here, guys. There's a lot of good stuff and we'll talk to you on the other side. This is Trev, and I'm very excited to be sitting across from another awesome multi-hyphenate, Alexandra Boylan, who is a writer, director, producer, actor with a long list of IMDb credits, many of which are her own of her own making. Um, so she truly is a sort of self-made career person. We were just chatting before um, we started recording here, and she just has sold two scripts. She's got a lot of projects in development. She is making things happen. She's got epic stories about living out of her car for a year. <laughs> and I have to say, probably more than almost anybody on the show we've had, uh, we've had people come up to us and say, you got to get Alexandra Boyle on the podcast. Like, 
probably close to a dozen people have been like, when are you going to connect with her? We want an interview with her. So very excited to finally have you on, Alexander. Thanks for being here. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. That just made my whole day. You hearing that? (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, it's super stoked to hear about your journey. So we were talking beforehand and you're an East Coast girl. You're from Boston. I'm from Boston. Boston. Yes. Um, So tell us what the journey was like from your early years in Boston (laughs) out to La La Land. Oh my goodness. So how to do that in a short amount of time because it's crazy. But um, yeah, I, I started pursuing acting when I was like, Wicked young, a little girl. Wicked young. Wicked young. My dad's <laughs> it, a minister, man. so I used to like perform in church and um, high school. And then at 19, I was like, I'm going to LA. And I packed up my bags and I drove my little Toyota Corolla out here. And at ni- 19, you at said? At 19. Damn. I was so young. So you skipped out on the whole college thing and everything. I did a year of college in the East Coast. I went to a, little, a, a private Christian school called Gordon College for a year. But I just really had, I had this like fear that if I didn't do it when I was young, I'd never do it. And I met a lot of other actors in Boston who were older and who were like, oh, I'm going to go someday. And I'm like, I don't want to be 40 and going, I wish I had gone to LA. And sometimes, you know, I think making rash decisions when you're young is good because you don't overthink it. You know, I didn't think about it. When I got out here, I was like, oh, wait, I have to buy silverware. <laughs> <laughs> Can openers? What? Yeah, I was like, wait, what? They, does it just come with everything my parents' house has? <laughs> Comes with the apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. And I was like, huh. But I did. I moved here at 19. I was really brave. And I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back. I had super supportive parents. And they were really cool. And they were like, well, when I got out here, they were helping me out. And I was like going to these apartments and it was sinking in what I had just decided to do. And I'd be like crying in front of the apartment managers because I was like, and my parents were so sweet. They were like, if you want to turn around the car and go back, no one will think the less of you. And I was like, no, I think I'm going to stay. I'm going to make this happen. Wow. So 19 years old by yourself. You didn't know anybody out here? I didn't know anybody out here. I didn't. I, nope. I just, I think it so feels like a million years ago. But I just, yeah, I didn't have any friends. And it's hard when you go to a city when you're not in school or have a job. I didn't have a job. So I just sit in my apartment and be like, what do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) And I used to get the backstage, you know, and Mm -hmm. submit myself. And, um, but I was pretty lonely (laughs) the first year. And then a year into it, I became homeless and my whole family is like, it's time to move back home. You need to give this up. And I'm like, no, I'm going to persevere. And I lived in my car for a month. <laughs> so why did you become homeless? What happened? Um, I lived in a woman's guest house and I was supposed, and she went crazy on me and I'm so young and she was just a nutcase and I had no hot water in my guest house. And she kept saying, no, you have hot water. And I kept being like, no, I don't have hot water. And eventually she was just getting a little crazy and my parents were advising me to leave. And then I was supposed to live with some guy that I was, I worked at Saddle Ranch on Sunset. Okay. Right on. <laughs> you know that place? Yeah. I worked there at the Mechanical Bull and this guy, I didn't even know we met and he was like, you, let's live together. And I was like, okay. I was so young and retarded. And I was like, and the day we were supposed to move in together to this apartment, he called and said, I can't actually do it. And I was like, well, I, oh, I don't know. I don't have anywhere to go. And I ended up, um, putting all of my stuff in a neighbor's backyard and I slept in my car. Wow. For like a month, you said? For a or? month. It was a good month until I found my own place to live. Wow. <laughs> now, I'm, I've always been curious about this because, you know, I'm not going to lie. A couple sure. times I've come close to being like, oh, maybe I need to sleep in my car next month. So <laughs> where, where did you 
Go park. To the how park. did you set up your car so that you know the windows were kind of covered? Like, Where how did that work? I'm always, I'm always Where do you curious. take a shower? Yeah, I'm um, curious what that was like. Well, I had one girlfriend who lived down the street from me, and she also rented a guest house. And the first night I stayed there, her landlord said I couldn't stay there. So I was like, okay. So I used her shower and I used her bathroom, but I couldn't stay in her place. But I was par- I lived in Studio City behind the Studio City golf and tennis courts. So that's where I parked my car at night because it was pretty safe behind the golf course. It was a neighborhood and there's a couple little side streets that dead end there and nobody, you know, gave right. me any trouble about it. <laughs> and did you, because I've thought, I've thought about this sometimes and I thought, sure. you know, just for anybody listening who might be in a similar situation or possibly just here are some tips. Here are some tips. Yeah, I've thought about this. Like what I would probably do, it's funny that we're talking about this, but I would probably take some t-shirts and like kind of put them sort of over the window and then roll up the window so they kind of get pinned so sure. it's so you I got some privacy is, is yeah. did you do anything like that or did you just like No, I just slept there. So I didn't anybody know. walking by could have just peered in and been like, yeah, but, "Oh, but like hey. I said, I found really secluded streets where nobody was walking okay. by. I mean, it was dead ends where it's like literally the golf course back of the golf course. So wow. nobody's like back there walking and like, <laughs> maybe people are watching me sleep. I don't know. Mm. Was a little, I, I survived it and I'm, I'm a better person wow. for it. So, and you were working this whole time. I was your... working at Saddle Ranch. I had a job. I had money in the bank. It wasn't that I didn't, I couldn't like pay my bills. It was that I didn't literally have anywhere to go and I didn't have any friends and I didn't have a community and everyone I knew was just random people I worked with in a bar and stuff. So no one was right. going to like take me in, <clears throat> which is weird. Like the few people I knew didn't offer to let me stay there, which, hmm. which is, I think there's incredible people in Los Angeles. When I tell that story, people are like, I can't believe nobody let you stay with them. And I'm like, yeah, you think about that. That's kind of. And you, you asked and everything. Oh and yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm a 20 year old kid. Like, like we didn't want to sleep in my car. I'm a girl too. You know, yeah. you see, think about the dangers of it. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but I didn't, I, it was fine. I don't think people knew me that well. I'd only been here for a year, so maybe they thought I was a crazy woman who'd never leave their couch. <laughs> like, they were right. like, what if we take this girl in and she never leaves and she right. just like lives with us forever? So you just didn't have a, a lease to sign, essentially. Like right. You were in that sort of weird sweet spot between when apartment leases were renewing and you just... Right. Well, I had, had to go to find an apartment because like that, right. the, my guest house woman was wanting me to leave. I couldn't even ask to extend that place. And then I didn't have an apartment. So I had one, that girlfriend of mine, she lived in the guest house, her and I got a two-bedroom apartment. So we, but we were looking for an apartment that whole month while I'm living in my car, trying to find a place to live. Right. So wow. it's crazy. That is nuts. So, but you eventually found a place. You eventually settled down. Which yeah. part of town? I, I lived in Studio City for ten years, and in, in an apartment we found was rent controlled. It was like nine hundred dollars for a two-bedroom, two-bathroom. What? Right in that area where I was parking my car. And, no way. Uh, so I ended up living there for ten years. So yeah, it, I wouldn't a, leave that place. Either. Yeah, in a way, it was like a blessing in disguise and I feel like maybe that guy that I was supposed to live with wasn't such a good idea and and the universe and God was protecting me so I look at it it was a good thing (laughs) right on right on it's funny sometimes you look back at situations like that and you're like you know what I think there was sort of a divine hand involved there somehow there's always a silver lining in everything in the moment you can't see what you're going through you think oh my gosh this is and then years later you go that was the best thing that could happen to me so much better than if I lived with a man that I didn't even know and maybe yeah who knows what could have happened there yeah so (laughs) we won't go there we won't go Uh, there because it did it (laughs) right right so you so you were out here then for for a good 11 years and you were working as an actor auditioning writing yeah what what was your well actually no i i moved out here and 
I got very tunnel vision as an actress. That's all I was. That's all I could see. And I was like, I quickly got into doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results for years and years and years. I was bartending, waitressing, and pursuing acting. And I was getting small parts in asylum movies. And I was getting little things here and there. But um, I started getting really unhealthy because as an actor, you cannot work hard enough for somebody to choose you. And I have a really strong work ethic. But I was like, I felt like I was just like crazy because I was like, like, please pick me, pick me, pick me. And like 10 years of doing that's going to like drive you into a hole in your mind, you know. So um, I just got really exhausted of hitting my head against the wall and being like, I couldn't get an agent. And I could, I was studying with Harry Master George for six years and I'm a talented actor, but I could not get that break that lucky break. So in 2008, I decided that I was like, this is crazy. I'm going to do something else. And my friend and I decided to produce a play called The House of Yes, which is a great play, by the way. And we we performed it and put it up at the Artworks Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard. And we sold out every single night. And I fell in love with the process of being a part of something creative from the beginning to the end, from the costumes to the set, to choosing the script, to casting it. I loved it. And I was like, man, like, why have I not been doing this? You know, I've been, I mean, I used, like I mentioned before, I'm good friends with a man named Evan Glaudel, who made a film called Bellflower. And for years, him and I used to run out and make short films together, but I mostly just acted in it. You know, he'd write the script and he'd edit it and produce it. But I finally just kind of was like, I have been literally so tunnel vision, like, like I, like I had blinders on. And finally, I just kind of started opening up my vision of like, there is all these incredible parts of making art that I haven't allowed myself to be a part of. Cause I've just been, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to, that's it. And you know, but you have to, you have to go through it. You know, you can't kick yourself. You just have to go through it and be like, all right, I know this now in my thirties, I just didn't know in my twenties. So after we did the play, I still couldn't get an agent. Even after we did this incredible play and it was sold out every night, I was like, you know what? And I still was so obsessed with getting an agent. I think that was a big thing too. And I said, I got to leave LA. And I packed my bags at 29 years old and I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Again, somewhere I didn't know anybody. I heard that the industry was booming there and I went out to Albuquerque and I said, I'm just going to let go of like my desire and my insane drive to be an actress and say whatever I'm supposed to do I'm welcome god that is so funny to me uh and <laughs> in, in a in a very good way because I've heard and maybe you can verify this or refute it but I've heard that Albuquerque is one of those places on the planet that a lot of people go and they feel kind of artistically lost and they find themselves there it, it, I feel like it that's, has a reputation for that is, I didn't even know that but you, that's I, I exactly know. my story so that's, that's crazy in, in the artist way Julia Cameron talks about that how yeah. she, she goes to Albuquerque New Mexico <laughs> and she finds herself oh, that's where she that. developed the artist's way and wrote uh, her first book and uh, and I've heard that that's like a thing that happens. So how funny. I'm how sorry. Funny. I had to just no, drop that in there. You know, I didn't know that. But for me, what was appealing about Albuquerque was I was hearing that there was all these film booming in Albuquerque and Louisiana back in 2008. And um, oh, well, and what also was the catalyst for me leaving was I was uh, I was doing bottle service, which is very good money 
I used bottle, to service? bottle service in a, a nightclub in LA where you drop off bottles at tables and it's like $500 a bottle like of liquor. And I was making a lot of money. So there was a piece of me that didn't want to leave LA because I was actually trapped in making good money. And then I was thinking about going to Albuquerque and I lost my job and I lost that apartment in the same week. And wow. I was like, okay, I'm leaving. There's I get it. I'm supposed to go. And I don't know if I would have ever pulled the plug had I kept the job in the apartment. But it was like I was getting pushed out. And I was super unhealthy. Like I admit, I admit that I was in a very unhealthy state of my mind because I was, you know, as an actor, you're being rejected constantly. And I just was so unhappy. Like I didn't like who I was becoming and I was recognizing that. And so when I went to Albuquerque, it's kind of what you said. I was just like, I need to get healthy and let go. I had like, I, 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 I call it like I had like my grip on acting like so tight and so like this is going to happen. I'm going to make it happen that when I left L.A., it was like I let it all go. And I like opened up my hands and was like, I will do whatever I'm supposed to do. And I ended up getting a job as a companion to elderly people. A totally outside of the industry. Nothing you ever could have anticipated in your wildest dreams. No, well, I when I went out there, I was like, I'm so sick of my life being about me all the time. I hate myself. I hate what I've become. I hate my selfishness. I started looking for a job that didn't have anything to do with me or the industry. You know, and it was like I used to go to people's houses and listen to their extraordinary stories and their lives. And it was so part of my therapy of becoming healthy again. And like, you know, I stopped anything. It's funny because Albuquerque had a lot of industry. I had an agent, but I didn't audition that much. I really spent a whole year just not focusing on the at all on the business. And I kind of had no friends. I sat in my apartment a lot and I hung out with old people a lot. So I was pretty wow. isolated and lonely, but it was what I needed to like refocus and wow. refigure out what I wanted to do. And then through the course of meeting these incredible people in Albuquerque, I met all these awesome independent filmmakers and they all, I was like, Hey, does anyone want to make projects? Like let's make short films. And I, my friend and I had written a short film and we got a director and we produced our first short film. And I was like, I just started falling in love with creating. And then, of course, I gave myself the lead in all my own things, which is why being a producer and an actor is really smart. Because, like, instead of getting one line on a TV show, you can give yourself the lead. Yeah, in. yeah. And uh, so we did all these short films. And I did a web series called Flock that's really good. It's a 12-episode web series about a gr uh, traveling con artist religious couple that does door-to-door baptism and exorcisms. <laughs> oh my God. And that's on blip.tv. And we got picked by staff pick a pick that was like the best web series when we, when we launched it. And it's a really, and then after doing all these shorts, um, we were like, isn't this a, is all in Albuquerque? This is by the way? all in Albuquerque. I was in wow. Albuquerque for three years and I actually, I, um, I did my first stand-in job out there, which is a really cool story that I think Helena might've mentioned it, but my first stand-in job, cause I was like, I was told to really early on not to do anything but act if you want to be an actor. I was told that by a very successful person when I was 19. And I believed that and I stuck with that for 10 years. And now I wish I could have gone back and been like, actually, I don't think that's true. As an actor, you should be in any way you can be on a movie set, be meeting people, you know, not sitting in your apartment going, aren't they going to knock on the door and find me finally? You know, like, so I got a job as Megan Fox's stand-in in a movie called Passion Play. 
which ended up being one of my favorite life experiences. I worked with Bill Murray and Mickey Rourke and Mitch Glazer and incredible people. And a year later, they called the post-production coordinator called me and they were like, um, we'd like to extend your part in the movie. And I was like, what? Beyond Beyond, right, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I didn't I'm know it was a part. This, right. Yeah, so that was position. kind of crazy. So I'm in Albuquerque and they're like, can you be in LA? And I'm like, yes, I'll make that happen. Sure. So I come to LA and they give me an address and I'm dry. And they were very cryptic about this whole thing. And I'm driving to like the top of the canyons to like this mansion. And this guy opens the door like in his pajamas. And I'm like, what is going on? So anyway, I, and I, I find out later that this house is Megan Ellison's house, who is Annapurna Productions now. And, um, Megan Ellison was a producer on Passion Play and she had had an idea of wanting to do a producer's cut of the film. And I sit down with these two guys. We spend the entire day together because the whole time they're being very cryptic. It's like they didn't want to tell me what was going on. And they were like, we've been watching you on the camera in Megan's clothes, in like the clothes. Sorry, because that's what you're wearing their clothes and doing all that stuff. And I photo double for her and stuff. And they were like, we've been looking at you and we wanted to we want to audition you for the lead in the producer's cut of Megan Ellison's cut of this movie. Of, play, of the Megan Fox movie? Yeah, of Passion Play. Wait, so, okay. all right, I know it's confusing. Yeah, because they, so they had already shot They shot it. the whole movie, but they wanted, there were some issues that they wanted to maybe have a producer's cut that would be different, you know? So with you a have, different lead? Well, they would intercut what we were going to do with the movie and just, like, enhance the story. Oh, okay. So, so I would they, play Mickey Rourke's wife, yeah, oh, when I he's see. young, and there'd be flashbacks back and forth. And it would be like, it was really freaking cool for me because I'm sitting there like, what am I I'm going to get to be in this movie? And so I, I hung out with these guys all day. I um, Then they gave me the sides and they were like, all right, audition. So I auditioned and it was like the coolest thing because they stopped me and they were like, oh my gosh, like we thought, you know, standard of Megan Fox, she's going to be like, probably not so good either. Like, you're an amazing actress. And I was like, well, thank you. And they were like, well, you got the part and we're going to shoot this. And I was like, what? And so I shot that for seven days. I shot a whole storyline with a man who plays Mickey Work when he's young. Unfortunately, it never saw the light of day because, you know, there's, there was issues. I'm sure they, the director didn't want his movie changed. And but what's awesome about life is that, because I was disappointed, I was like, oh, you know, that's my big break. That was going to be my big break. But um, a couple of years later, the same distribution company that bought Passion Play bought a movie that I made called Home Sweet Home. So isn't that awesome? <laughs> Sweet yeah. And it was still a great experience. And I, I still talk to a lot of the crew from the, the thing that I shot. And so everything is a silver lining. All those people are still in my life. We still work together. Um, and yeah, that didn't go anywhere, but it showed to me that like being a stand-in or being on a set, you never know what that is going to lead to. And I wish that I could go back and tell myself that at 19 years old when I was like, no, I'll just be a waitress and just wait for someone to pick me as an actor. Hey everyone, welcome back to the bookends. Oh, Trev, come on, man. It's like a cliffhanger. You're just leaving oh, us know. hanging right there. It um, only um, gets better. I, I'm so excited. I know. I, I mean, it, uh, it, it, it has to after a cliffhanger. 
it's just this is an interesting sort of I'm thinking about her interview and the context of what we talked about between James DeMont and Georgie's email for this episode and I'm thinking that this kind of theme of do you have to be in LA to do your own thing and can you do your own thing and have it be high quality and still make a difference in this industry and in people's lives and I think the answer is yes and I can't wait to kind of see how this conversation evolves I sense that it's going to be a, a theme over the, the coming years of the podcast oh yeah Definitely. Well, as long as we stay relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's another story. Anyway. What's your, uh, uh, what's your pick of the week, brother? So here we go. Uh, my pick of the week is fitting for this episode. Again, because of what, what I saw on James Dumont's Facebook feed, this is, uh, this is a pick kind of inspired by that. I've been rereading one of my favorite books of all time that I think every human being on the planet should read. Uh, and that is not an understatement or an exaggeration. It's a book called The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. I may have made it a pick of the week in episodes past, uh, but I'm rereading it now, and it's essentially about our culture and our culture's view of the natural world and our relationship to it, and everything from right down to like the science of climate change to the sort of anthropological, sociological uh, uh, contrast between what he calls younger cultures and older cultures and how it ultimately comes down to what's going on inside ourselves, inside our heads and our hearts and how we can transform ourselves and, and the world and our relationship to the world to essentially uh, combat the sort of destruction that the human race is kind of wreaking havoc on. Um, when it comes to other species and and the planet, and uh, anyway, it's it's a as you can tell, it's a very sort of uh, far-reaching, um, vast in scope kind of book. Mm-hmm. It even talks about quantum physics and all sorts of stuff. But man, Tom Hartman is brilliant. I'm a huge fan of his work, and this book is uh, a noodle bake from start to finish, and just essential, essential reading. I'd highly recommend anybody interested. Pick up a hard a hard copy like the like the paperback version. Don't get the digital version. Get the paperback version because it's going to be something you're going to want to own uh, and reread time and time again. So yeah, Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight by Tom Hartman. There's a link on our website. If you do pick it up, uh, I would love 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 for you to write the podcast and let me know that you've picked it up so we can talk about it. Uh, I'm very passionate about this kind of stuff and I would love to chat with somebody who's uh, also into this kind of thing and especially about the themes that he puts forward in the book. Well, my, my, my pick of the week is equally as epic, except not, it's not about necessarily the entirety of the human race, although I guess it does kind of include sort of human behaviors and politics, etc. It's called Red Army, and it's a documentary about the Soviet hockey team. Well, I mean, that's the main focus. It uses that as a jumping-off point to talk about the Cold War, the way that the Soviet government operated during the uh, the 1980s, it's it focuses specifically around. Oh gosh, now I'm going to forget his name, uh, Slava Fatisov, to keep on the hockey theme. Who who hockey um, enthusiasts and fans and stuff will will definitely rec- recognize his name um, from his time with the uh, Detroit Red Wings, where he won I think two Stanley Cups and. But, he, you know, it talks about how, I mean, essentially it's his journey from being like this national hero to when he wasn't necessarily choosing to play for the Soviet team anymore. He became like this anti-hero. Like they, they, he went from being like this hero to them like hating him and, and, and sort of denouncing him as a, as a symbol of their country so, um, and of their idealism. 
So uh, just really fascinating. Um, the link that you'll that you'll see on our website isn't the IMDb link. It's going to take you to Sony's website where you can watch not only the trailer but see where it is in terms of theaters near you. Because uh, as of right now, I believe that's the only way to see it. Anyway, Red Army, check 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 it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just watching the trailer when we when we took our little break there for the interview, and it looks pretty fascinating. A lot of archival historic footage and. Kick ass, man. Well, no listener pick of the week this week, but to recap ours, that's The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight by Tom Hartman and Red Army, which is a documentary from Sony Classics. Hope you guys check those out and enjoy. And hey, man, chime in on our um, membership group and maybe we can start a whole new thread about this stuff because these are all things that affect our work as as creative people. Yeah, we should definitely have like a pick of the week section or something. All right. Our member of the week this week is a gentleman named Freddie Velateo. Yeah, guy's a total stud. I'm not going to lie. Uh, after reading his bio that he submitted to us, a uh, little bit of a man crush on you, Freddie. Uh, I've met Freddie many times. Just a warm, positive, uh, hardworking guy. Really good dude. And his bio says it all. He says, and I quote... I am a human first. I love my family and friends and continue to strive to be the best man I can be to them. I love competition because it stretches all of us and it will weed out the fakes. My soul is enriched with Bay Area roots, therefore I will remain funky yet classy. Theater stole my heart at a young age, but I've decided to cheat on her with TV and film. He <laughs> says, I'm not here in L.A. to be a star. I want to be an instrument so people can feel triumph, love, or sadness. Therefore, I am a human first. Aren't we all? End quote. Uh, best, best bio ever? Best bio ever? Best bio ever. Best Plus, bio he's ever. Got a, he didn't say it here, but he's got a clothing line as well. Uh, we'll see if we can find a link to that uh, and maybe include it in there with his bio. But check out, connect with Freddie, man. He's on the membership group. He's already posted a bunch, uh, and he's, he's you'll have a little bit of a detail and link to his stuff on our on our website. So, Freddie, thank you for your support, man. You are a rock star. We love you long time. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and, of course, Mr. Senior Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Kadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. And uh, I just got to say, did a bang-up job of our new website and membership site. So, so happy about those. I'm proud of Godali and, and, and grateful for his work. Jasmine Bristow is our Director of Public Relations, and Deborah Smith is our Community Manager. Trevor Alget composed our music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our current episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. That's right. We've changed it. It, it still is InsideActingPodcast.com, technically, but that will just refer you to InsideActing.net. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thank you. Big thank you, of course, to our sponsors, VO2GoGo.com and Rehearsal2, the app. And thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to help keep the show going, you can sign up to be a monthly member and get cool perks, like access to our exclusive membership mastermind group we've been talking about, freebies like free access to my digital actor workshop, and discounts on merchandise like, for instance, uh, some IAP t-shirts, and other upcoming podcast offerings, and much, much more. It's uh, all at our website, our new website. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the Membership tab. And that is it for episode 187 of Inside Acting. Welcome to season seven. We're excited to kick off a new season with you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, check out the writing on the wall. Hey.